Nicole. And I am Rachel. This is the Movement Towards Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. Today, we are honored to speak to dance physical therapist, Michalina Casella Kulak. Mickey is currently the senior dance specialist at the McKaylee Center in Waltham, Massachusetts, and has been the director of physical therapy at both the Boston Ballet Company and School and Boston Children's Hospital. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's my pleasure and an honor to be speaking with both of you. <laughs> so you've had a very exciting career as a dance physical therapist. Could you just tell us a little bit about your journey to this point? Oh my goodness, it's a long journey because uh, as of September 17th, I will be celebrating my 50th year at Children's Hospital. <laughs> so 50 years of practice and uh, it's really quite interesting. It was an interesting journey because when I first start, my specialty is pediatrics. And when I first started at Children's, most of my patients were uh, children with very severe disabilities. And then in the mid-1980s, uh, I was focusing more on orthopedics and children with uh, uh, spinal deformities. And then around um, late 1980s, 1990s, Dr. Lyle McKaylee, who is the director of uh, Children's Hospital Sports Medicine Division, asked me if I would establish an on-site physical therapy program at Boston Ballet. And I have to tell you, I don't have a large experience in dance. When I was young, I only took tap dancing. <laughs> so it was a brand new experience for me, and it was a wonderful experience. So the Boston Ballet opened their new building on Clarendon Street, and we had a room there designated for physical therapy. And I established the physical therapy program at Boston Ballet <clears throat> for the company and also for the school. And I was there almost like 12 years uh, as a director of, of physical therapy. And I thoroughly loved working with dancers. Uh, the dancers taught me a lot. I had to learn. I had to learn what a plie and a releve was. <laughs> and now many years later, I think I finally know what, it, what they are. <laughs> but it, it was, it's been a wonderful journey. And what I often say is in the beginning of my career, I worked with children that had severe disabilities and tried to teach them to work uh, to use what they have to the best of their ability. And then toward the end of my career, I'm working with these individuals with incredible abilities. <laughs> so I've come full circle. And now my primary focus now is at the McKaylee Center for Sports Injury Prevention. Uh, during my career, I worked with so many um, children, all ages, and even some young adults and even some older adults, who suffered severe injuries, and a lot of them recently dance-related injuries. So my goal now, at my, the final end of my journey, is to try to prevent injuries. I, I hate to see young dancers uh, having a serious injury that alters their career before they can even start it. That's so that's wonderful. a little bit about me. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so kind of leading into speaking about how dance injuries form, we know that they often form from an imbalance in the body. And we were wondering if you can talk about what muscles tend to be weak in dancers and uh, if there's any specific exercises you would recommend to help address that. Right. <clears throat> That's a, a, a big question. Uh, probably it's gonna take a little bit of a long answer. Because as you know, most young people start dancing at a very young age. 
And um, oftentimes people ask me, how come you set up the PT program at Boston Ballet when it's mostly adults? And I said, well, most of those adults started dancing when they were three or four or five. So we're talking about the developmental process. We're talking about the developmental body. You know, uh, children are not miniature adults. They go through an incredible developmental process as they go from, ch uh, from infant to, to childhood, toddler, adolescent, and young adult and adult, and the body changes. And what happens in dance, you are expected to do incredible movements with your body. And the body is undergoing changes constantly as you grow. Uh, I see most of the majority of injuries, not only in dance, but even in other sports, occur during the adolescent growth spurt. And that's when there is a big change in bodies, both the male body and the female body as they're approaching puberty. Your bones are growing, your muscles haven't had a chance to catch up. You start getting a lot of imbalances and that's what causes injury. Uh, and I think that if we, could, if we can train teachers and train young dancers that their body is going through these changes and we have to adapt First of all, we have to teach young people exercises to combat some of these changes and also to educate the teachers to understand that often when children are going through their adolescent growth spurt, their training should decrease, not increase. And that's kind of, a, a, it's kind of ironic because if you think about people's uh, children starting to dance when they're, say, between five and seven years old, and they're... Uh, I'll use classical ballet as an example, and they're taking three or four classes a week. They keep progressing in levels. So they get to be about 12 or 13 when they're just starting their adolescent growth spurt. That's when they, they, somebody wants to move them to a higher level. My feeling is they should decrease a level. Yes, work on technique, but keep the leg down low. Keep, keep working within your ability and not pressing the body before it's ready to have those extremes of movement. To answer your question about weakness, I have right now at the McKaylee Center, I've done about 500 screenings since 2016. And I can tell you, most of them are adolescent. The majority were females. I do have a couple of males, but the majority are females. Uh, all types of dance, all types of dance, uh, but quite a few, even if they're taking um, tap and other types of dance, the majority of them are doing ballet majority of them are taking technique classes. And what I have found is significant weakness in the abdominal muscles, especially the lower abdominals. About 100% of the young people I screen uh, did not pass the lower abdominal muscle test. Now the lower abdominals are key to prevent injuries. That's your core, as your teachers say, that, that's where you where everything focuses on your center of gravity. If you've got strong abdominal muscles and a strong center, your lower extremities will just follow. But if you've got that weakness there, that immediately is gonna shift your spine out of alignment, your legs out of alignment, and malalignment is what causes injury. I always like to use the expression, um, I had the fortune, uh, the, the, I had the fortunate experience to work with a professional dancer I won't use her name, she's long retired now, who never sustained an injury in her life, in her entire life. And she was high level professional classical ballet dancer. And it was quite interesting at a dance medicine conference, they asked her, how come you never were injured? Oh, she says, that's very simple. All you have to do is stand up straight. 
Now that sounds crazy, but really and truly, if you think about standing up straight with all your muscles coordinated and your joints perfectly aligned and no stress, no imbalance on the joints, and then when you move in various positions, you still have that alignment, you'll never be injured. But she's the only person in my entire career that never sustained an injury. But I thought it was kind of a humorous, just stand up straight, it sounds so simple, but that's really what we're talking about is have everything aligned, have very good balance. The other muscles that I see, especially in the developing body that are weak, uh, uh, some of the, um, the buttocks muscles, the gluteus maximus, and especially the gluteus medius, which is the muscle on the side of your leg, that's the muscle that you absolutely have to have when you're standing on one leg. If you're standing on one leg, and you lose, and you start shifting to shifting uh, away from that muscle kind of thing. You're, shift, you're, you're shifting off to the side. When you go to raise your opposite leg, you have to work harder to hold your balance. That gluteus medius muscle is key to preventing injury in dance, especially because you're doing a lot of single leg movement. The other the muscles that are tight, that are really tight in, in the adolescents, are the hip flexors. The hamstrings, the hamstrings are a big, big problem. And the biggest problem is the gastroxoleus muscles, the calf muscles. What happens in dance and especially ballet, you spend so much time on releve or on point that you get wonderful um, uh, uh, plantar flexors. Your, your point muscles are really, really strong, but the opposite muscles that flex the ankle joint uh, are very, very tight. And that's when you get when you that's that's when you get um, poor alignment with plie. And if you don't have absolute perfect alignment with the plie, when you take off and land from a jump, you're going to put tremendous stress on the foot, ankle, knee, hip, spine. So the plie is a, a beautiful plie and well aligned well aligned plie plie is one of the keys to preventing uh, dance injuries. So those are the muscles that I really, um, the young people that come to my clinic, those are the muscles we really focus on, on uh, maintaining flexibility. So strength in the core, strength in the muscles around the pelvis and the hip, and flexibility in the lower extremities is absolutely key to success. And then point work is another whole story. I don't know if you want me to get into that, but <laughs> that may be another question. <laughs> I don't know. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, you spoke about how dancers mature, and they, as they mature, they often become responsible for their own warm-up. Uh, so what are some of the components to a good warm-up? Should we be focused more on strengthening or stretching before class? Oh, very, very good question. And, you know, this is, and I'm talking about in the ideal situation. What I find so often is that when we're talking about young adolescent dancers, young dancers, uh, they're trying to go to school. They have, they have to go to school. They have homework. They're taking class. They don't have a whole lot of time. But I try to encourage uh, some type of warm-up before class if they can do any type of dynamic warm-up. Sometimes I'll give them three or four exercises they can do. As a, and, and generally, the research shows that you should probably not do static stretching before class. What you should do is a dynamic warm-up. And I, you probably looked online. There are, if you go online, there are zillions of YouTube uh, uh, videos on 
dynamic exercises for the lower extremities, for the upper extremities, for the trunk. I like to give the dancers maybe three or four, maybe no more than five, that they can do maybe for 10 minutes before class because usually, and you, you young ladies, both of you probably were going to high school and trying to go to dance class and running from school to dance. I mean, you don't have a lot of time. So even if you can get to class 10 minutes before and maybe just do a 10 minute warm up, that, that is fantastic. I mean, professional dancers obviously have more time and they do, they do an extensive dynamic warm up before they start their class. And ideally, in the ideal world, if you can then do your static stretching after class, that is marvelous. Uh, I work with young people and I say, well, if you can't do it right after class, when you get home, if you can just do three or four, I try to keep the exercises to a minimum. I try to give my, the young people that I see maybe four or five important stretching exercises that they can do right when they get back from class before they start their homework. Mm -hmm. So warm up and cool down are very, very, very important. And I think that's, that's really the key to preventing injuries or at least minimizing. Um, I often, people often say when I give lectures, oh, well, let's talk about preventing injuries. And I thought, well, I wish I could prevent them, but dance, uh, your body is your instrument. You're moving it constantly. And uh, I think that we can't prevent the injuries 100%, but maybe we can minimize them and maybe prevent some big ones. <laughs> And when it comes to foam rolling, is that something you would recommend before class or after class or either one? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different opinions on foam rolling. <laughs> and I really do think it's individual. I think some people have very firm muscles and they're very, very hard to stretch. And I think it just depends on your body type. Uh, I feel very strongly if you have very firm muscles and it's really hard for you to stretch, I often re recommend foam rolling uh, before static stretching. Soften up the muscle a little bit before. Um, I don't necessarily think too much about doing it before dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching is just moving the muscles and just getting them warmed up and, and um, people don't have a lot of time. So oftentimes what I'll say to the dancers is, it, it, you know, if they don't have time to foam roll uh, right after class, ideally the nice, the best time to foam roll is after class and then to do your static stretching. That's ideal. Uh, sometimes with people with firm muscles, I just say, well, roll whenever you get a chance, <laughs> you know, but pro probably not to do too much rolling just before class. Mm. Does that and make with, sense? Yes. And with static stretching, so that's when we're holding the stretch. Is there sort of a general time that a dancer should be holding the stretch for? Generally speaking, the, the, uh, to get the muscles to adapt to a, a longer length, you should hold the stretch a minimum of 30 seconds. And I usually recommend three repetitions, holding each repetition for 30 seconds. And that seems to do the trick. That, that, and especially if you do it every single day. Uh, oftentimes I'll say to young dancers, you know, especially after I show them the exercises, they say, oh, everything feels so good. I could get my leg up higher. And I said, well, tomorrow when you try this, it's going to feel like you didn't do anything. So that's why you have to stretch every day. <laughs> it is cumulative. And what happens is every, especially with the developing body, uh, I'll give you an example. I had a young lady last summer, before she left for her summer intensive, her, uh, her straight leg raise was 75 or 80 degrees, which is excellent. 
she come back in September and her straight leg was down to about 50 degrees. And she was really upset because she had been stretching every single day, but she grew four inches. Can you imagine? So her bones grew and the muscles didn't, I, I said to her, if you hadn't been stretching, your straight leg raise would have even been less. I said, so don't be discouraged. I said, you'll get it back. You'll get it back. Once you achieve full growth, you'll get your flexibility back. But then my instructions to her was right now during fall semester, you have to keep your leg low. You can't lift it to 80 or 90 degrees because you only have 50 degrees right now. So you have to keep your leg down low. And this is what I wish teachers would understand is that some of these young ladies, when they're going through their adolescent growth spurt, they can still take their technique classes. They can still work on, on movements, but they have to do it. They have to modify. You can't lift your leg to 90 degrees if you only have 50 degrees. If you do that, you're going to strain a muscle or tear a muscle. I, uh, the other thing I, ha I often hear, and you probably heard it from me, <laughs> I'm constantly telling young dancers, no more splits. Because they'll come and say to me, you know, when I was 10 years old, I could do a split. And now I'm 14 and I can't do it anymore. And I said, yes, you can't do it because your adductors are so tight and your hamstrings are so tight. And until you get that flexibility back, I do not want you doing splits. <laughs> and I'll, I'll write notes to the teachers saying, no splits for the time being. They could do split jumps, but no sitting on the floor doing a split. Um. So when it comes to cross-training, if a dancer wanted to sort of begin to build a, a cross-training routine outside of their warm-up and cool-down, let's say maybe they're not dancing as much for a specific period of time, or they just feel like they need to supplement their training, about how long would you say a dancer should be cross-training each week? And are there specific modalities that you strongly recommend such as yes. Pilates, yoga, gyrotonics? All of them. Uh, that's an excellent question. And cross training is absolutely essential. This is a problem that we're having not only in dance, but also in sports where a, an individual is doing one sport all year, soccer all year, dance all year, football all year. They've got to do something different that makes their muscles and everything you uh, move in a little bit of a different way to just give your muscles a break, you know, <laughs> not a break, a rest. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of research on cross training. One of the uh, articles I read, this was a suggestion that if you're taking five classes a week, you should cross train one hour a week. If you're taking 10 classes, you should cross train two hours a week. And if you're taking 15 classes or more, you should cross train three hours a week. Generally speaking, I say, you know, one to three hours a week, if possible. Uh, obviously, uh, our young people that like, again, our young people, a professional dancer has a little bit more time, not much, but a little bit more time to cross chain. Uh, people that are going to school, it's really kind of hard. But all the things that you mentioned, if you can do um, stationary bicycle, elliptical, yoga, gyro, Pilates, Swimming, swimming is wonderful. You know, if you can do any of those things, uh, an hour, two hours a week, uh, three hours a week would be wonderful. Something that, that you, some other activity other than dance is uh, extremely important. So that, that, that um, 
five classes to one hour, 10 classes to two hour, 15 classes to three hour is kind of like a little rule, rule of thumb kind of thing. Um, so I was going to ask, what are your thoughts and recommendations for cardio? I know as dancers, we don't have to over, we don't want to overstress our joints, but cardio fitness is also important. Do you recommend a specific, specific form of cross training? It's absolutely important. And I know I'm going to, probably shouldn't say this and be recorded because I know that most teachers say that you should not run because you know that it, it puts too much impact on your joints and what have you which is probably true however uh, uh, doing uh, riding the stationary bike uh, treadmill uh, light jogging the biggest thing with cardio is you want to get you want to uh, hit your target heart rate so you want to figure out what your target heart rate is and you know how to do that, 220 minus your age times 0.5 gives you your target heart rate. So um, I think my target, I'm old, so I think my target heart rate now is 120. It used to be 150, but now, so you really wanna do an exercise that, that ha achieves your target heart rate for your cardio. And uh, I often, a lot of the dancers are using the treadmill uh, or the elliptical or the stationary bike because Running is not, not bad as long as you do a dynamic stretch before and you do your static stretch, stretching afterwards. But again, running outside on different surface, there's a danger of falling and getting injured. And so I tend to recommend, uh, you know, for cross training, the elliptical or the, or the treadmill. It's a little safer okay. if they can do it. And I think a lot of the dancers, I know now at Boston Ballet, a lot of the dancers are doing uh, some type of cross training. And they specifically love yoga, Pilates, and gyro. Gyro is wonderful. Uh, uh, but that, that's more for cross training, not for cardio. And for cardio, should they, should they limit, you know, if you're going for a run, going for a bike ride, swimming, should that be limited to a, to a certain length of time? Yes, usually we, uh, for uh, cardio, I got the two mixed up. For cardio, we usually recommend, the Heart Association recommends three times a week to get your target heart rate up about three times a week. So, you know, if they can do that three times a week, that, that is absolutely wonderful. Because you, as you know, most of dance is anaerobic, so you, it's oxygen depriving. So doing some type of aerobic exercise for your cardio is essential. It's, it's absolutely essential, mm. especially now that, especially uh, with some of the incredible choreography that's being done now. I mean, dance has become quite strenuous. <laughs> uh, some of the, uh, you know, even uh, the classical classical ballet is no longer just doing. In the classical ballet company, they're not just doing classical ballet. They're doing every, every type of dance. So I think cardio is even more important now because most companies are doing just about everything. And that's a big thing in a company where you have a section where you're doing classical and then you have a section where you're doing contemporary. So you really have to, you, you've got to train your body for all different types of dance. Have to be ready for, for anything. Yeah, for anything. And, and ready for some of the incredible choreography that I've seen. <laughs> I'm Definitely. sure you've seen it too. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, um, when it comes to rest days and taking time off from dance, oh. <laughs> uh, about how many days a week would you say are necessary for a dancer to take off? I know sometimes it's not always possible given a scheduling 
situation. And also if you could touch a bit on the benefits of rest days for the body. That is a loaded question. <laughs> and at many conferences we have had, we've actually almost come to blows. <laughs> and I've been taken to task about answering this question, but I will try, I'll give you my opinion because there are so many opinions on that question that I don't, I'm almost afraid to answer it, okay? Because some people in the dance community feel that you should never rest. Other people feel that you should rest, but only a little bit. Uh, some people feel that if you rest at all, it's incredibly detrimental. But my feeling is the body needs to rest. <laughs> it has to rest somewhat. And I think when I've been at meetings, I've said, you know, no two people are alike. So I don't think you can say that Rachel you, you need to rest one time a week. And Nicole, I'm, you know, you get tired. Maybe you have to rest two times. I, you know, I think people are different. And you're going to feel different during the, the different stages of your development and how intensely you're dancing and how intense the choreography is. I think that the most important thing, the most important answer to that question is for the individual dancer to know their body and to know when their body needs to rest and to listen to your body because when you're tired, that's when you're gonna get injured. You know, there was a, 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 a saying, I used to ski, and uh, there was a saying in skiing, don't ever do the last run, that's when you're gonna get hurt. And what I've said to the dancers, if they're in a heavy rehearsal and all of a sudden they feel that their body is just about ready to collapse, I said, you know what, that's when you tell the dance director or the choreographer, I can't do any more turns. That's it, I'm finished. No more turns. I'll mark it, but I can't do it. The dancer that listens to their body and knows when they need rest, that's the important answer to that question. That being said, I personally feel that if you're dancing 15 or 20 hours a week, you really should take at least, at least Sunday off. You know, if you're dancing six days a week, you should take Sunday off. You should take one day off. I mean, if you could take Saturday and Sunday off, that's even better. I think one to two days. And it depends. I mean, if you're only taking three classes a week, I don't think that's a, a big issue because you're resting in between. You know, if you're taking class Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're getting a rest period. But if you're dancing Monday through Friday, and again, it depends on your schedule. If you're only taking one class, well, maybe you only need to rest on Sunday. If you're taking three classes every single day, maybe you need to take Saturday and Sunday off. So that's what I'm saying, there's no, uh, but then when we get to break time, okay? This is a very, very good, this is where I got in trouble. You have, let's talk about the individual dancer, yourself, Rachel or Nicole, you're um, junior in high school, you're dancing every day, and then you finish on June, well, say 15th, and you're not, your summer intensive dance program is not gonna start until the last week in June or the first week in July. Okay, so you're gonna have like three weeks off, two or three weeks off. You were only taking one class a week up until that, right? Now you're gonna go to this nice big summer intensive program, maybe you're gonna go to Boston Ballet and you're gonna be dancing six hours a day. Your body is not ready for that summer intensive. so. I recommend during that little bit of a break that you don't stop taking class, that you, you don't have, you don't, and I'll say to people, 
you don't have to take an intense class, but you, you have to take a class. And can you do yoga? I mean, you're out of school, so you have a few days, you have the days off. Can you take one class and then can you do yoga or Pilates or gyro, but do at least three, or th three things a day so that when you go to your summer intensive program that first week, you're going to be ready. Well, I got absolutely crucified over this because a lot of people felt that the dancer should rest. And I said, I think that the dancer in that situation should be doing what I call relative rest, which means you don't immediately just crash and just stay in your bed all day or being on your computer and sit all day. You've got to keep your body moving because we see a lot of injuries the first week of the summer intensive, intensive class because I think the, the, the youngsters stopped their school classes and then they didn't do anything until they uh, came to the summer intensive. So I don't know if I answered your question, but it is a loaded question and, and, and there's so many different uh, uh, answers to that question. I know professional ballet companies, uh, at least Boston Ballet, what, we, what I recommended with the dancers when I was at Boston Ballet was when they're on summer break to take a, a week off, to take one, one full week off where they do nothing. Go to the beach, swim, read, whatever. Then the rest of the summer, yes, be sure you go. And most of the dancers did this. They would take a class a day, and then they would do cross training. They would do gyro, Pilates. You know, they, they certainly weren't going to have the intensive schedule that they have during the year, you know, when, they're part, when the company is in session. And most of the dancers do that. They would definitely take a week off uh, where they go to the beach and just crash and don't do anything. Just clear your mind. And sometimes you have to just clear your mind from dance. <laughs> hmm. Read a good book. <laughs> so, you would say, so you would say that um, taking a week off a, a few times a year would be a, would be a healthy thing for a dancer. But, you know, if you're about to go to a summer program or you're about to begin a busy semester, just also being mindful of, I'm gonna start dancing again, I don't wanna enter the studio having just been sitting for a long period of time, because that, exactly. that could be leading to an injury. Exactly. So, uh, you know, there, there's just no one way to answer that question, but I do feel that you, you, you have to use common sense. And, and that's why it's so important that we educate young dancers so that they are in charge of their body. That not not doing what other people are telling, but knowing what their body needs, and 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 be like you said, I love your your uh, terminology, being mindful, being mindful of what your body needs. And I think the more we educate young dancers, and that's what I'm trying to do in my screening clinic, is to give them the tools to be responsible for themselves and not to worry about what everybody else is thinking. You you have to do what's good for yourself. Dancing should be joyful. You should be able to enjoy it and have fun and not, not be worried about everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that actually leads perfectly into our next question, but we were thinking about how dance really isn't a seasonal activity and there's this feeling that you can and almost should always be in a class. So it is good to hear that it's okay to take more than a few days off every once in a while. Absolutely. <laughs> I, think it, I, I think it's really, really uh, for, your, for your mind and your body it's absolutely essential and I, I think we have to get uh start to have people uh thinking that way that taking some time off is actually okay it's not gonna inter taking a week off is not going to alter your career really 
You're gonna I, come I right always back. find that taking a little bit of time away from something, I appreciate it much more when I come back to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think people are finding that out now with this pandemic that, you know, that taking virtual, I have had a couple of dancers that are actually, uh, I was a little concerned uh, because one of them is uh, going to be in a training program uh, abroad and she's been doing virtual classes and she came to see me and she's actually in better shape now, I think, because she's, uh, because she's, was only able to do virtual classes. She was doing a lot of cross training. She was doing a lot of different things, and you know, because she wasn't in the studio all day. And you know what? She looked she she looked in better shape. <laughs> in fact, she looked terrific. I said, "I think you're going to be fine in your training program." <laughs> it's kind of kind of strange. <laughs> Sometimes what we least expect to the thing we expect least to help us actually is what we need the most. Exactly. Um, so our, our final two questions, the first one is what piece of advice, what's the number one piece of advice you would give to the movement toward change dance community? Okay, I have two things. I have advice for teachers and advice for students. Perfect. <laughs> the advice for teachers, and I have enormous respect for teachers, uh, uh, so I, I want to preface that, but they have to be, they have to understand the developmental process. They have to understand when it's time not to push a student. Uh, the student that's going through their adolescent growth spurt should be allowed to modify their technique classes. And they should be able to modify it without being, uh, you know, a thing, oh, you're not working hard enough, or you're not, you know, not having negative comments. They should be giving positive comments because they're being mindful of their bodies, they're paying attention to the fact that they don't have the strength yet or the flexibility yet to do some of these movements, that they, they can't do a split. And I, you know, I will tell you, most of the teachers that I have, sometimes the students will ask me if I could call their teacher and discuss the modifications, or I'll write up a list of modifications, they'll show them to the teacher and the teacher Teachers would be wonderful, they would accept it. But I think that we need to do more of that. I think teachers need to understand that when a dancer uh, goes up to the teacher and says, you know, I, I no longer can do this, or I can't, my physical therapist or whoever I've been working with says, I, 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 I can do first and second position, but not fifth position. But any of the modifications that are recommended have to the teachers have to reinforce in a positive way it's not like oh you're not you're not uh working to your potential and that's 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 negative feedback i think we have to give young dancers positive feedback when they're going through their adolescent growth spurt and we have to tell them uh, i'll give you an example i had a young dancer that came to me in tears because uh they had their evaluations this is in a classical ballet school and she was not promoted to the next level. I sat her down and I said, you have a very, very smart teacher. She says, I do? I said, yes. I said, because you're not ready for the next level. Your body is changing. I said, you stay in the level you're in. You won't get injured. Next year, you, they'll probably put you in a pre-pro program. I said, no. I said, you're, you have a smart teacher. And she ended up having a positive attitude about that because I, I put a positive spin on it, that this is not a negative thing that you didn't get promoted to another level. This is excellent. 
In fact, I think most people going through their adolescent growth spurt should be demoted a level and it should be a positive demotion. That's my message to teachers because I think we see most of the injuries in the adolescent growth spurt and I'm seeing so many. Um, I had a young dancer, 12 years old, that's already had two hip surgeries. That's unacceptable. That is unacceptable. We don't want to ruin young bodies. We want them to be able to enjoy dance, to have a positive dance. Dance is wonderful. They should be able to have a positive experience and not ruining their bodies. Uh, to the dancer, I would say exactly that. Stop worrying about what your neighbor is doing. Stop worrying about, just think about yourself. Think about the goals that you, the positive goals that you're achieving. You know, dance training is training and you're never going to be perfect. I work with professional dancers. They're not, and I, this is what I say to young dancers. I bet you, you don't know how many real high level professional female ballet dancers that do not have good turnout. They, and I said, no, what they have is enormous talent and they, they, they use what God gave them. And guess what? They don't have 180 degrees of turnout. In fact, nobody does. And so, <laughs> so, you know, I try to be, uh, a positive with students and I think we have to give students uh, go, uh, positive goals so that they think uh, they're thinking positively about themselves and not always concentrating on the negative I can't do this or you know my pirouette isn't good or my turnout is not good you know I, I try to erase those feelings uh, nobody's turnout is perfect <laughs> only in books <laughs> and I think it's so important to appreciate what we do have as dancers, whether it be flexibility or strength or artistry, whatever it is, anything is wonderful and just to it, really appreciate that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know if that answered your question, but. <laughs> uh, in this moment, is there a specific quote that speaks to you? Oh, I'm so happy you asked me about that. Wait a second. I got to get my book. It's not my quote. Um, but I will tell you what I've always said to dancers. There's two types of dancers, and this has to do with technique, and it has to do with talent, and it has to do with love of dance. There's two types of dancers. There's a dancer that dances from the inside out. That means the dancer that feels the music, that feels everything inside, and then just expresses it beautifully, even if they don't have great turnout, even if they don't, if they're, Plie, I mean, if their fifth position isn't closed, but you see them on the stage and they're magnificent, you can't take your eyes off of them because they are pure music, okay? Then there's the dancer, that's the technocrat, that dances from the outside in, that worries about, is my leg turned out enough? Is my devlope high enough? Is this, that, is that, that? And you watch them on stage and technically they are fantastic. You can't, their technique is fantastic. You're bored to death watching them because they're not feeling the music. And then I looked up Balanchine and Balanchine was all about the music. The dancers become the musical notes. If the dancers aren't the musical notes, forget about it. And I love Balanchine. See the music, hear the dance. Okay, that's his quote. And I love this one. Dancers are instruments like a piano the choreographer plays. He was all about the music, and so am I. And dancers have to be all about the music, even in class. Lose yourself to the music, listen to the music, and then just put the movements to it, and guess what? You'll be beautiful. 
you know, really and truly, I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, when you go to a performance and see someone that is really feeling it, feeling the, the, the music and, and, and interpreting the role, you can't take your eyes off that dance. You're not worried about how much turnout they have. You're just, and I often say to dancers, you know, when people are watching in the audience, they're looking at the arms. <laughs> they're looking at the upper body. <laughs> the arms are everything. <laughs> Stop worrying about your legs so much. Just concentrate on your port de bras. <laughs> Are you in agreement? <laughs> I love that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So I don't know if I answered all your questions. Yes, very much so. This was really wonderful. So if you have further questions for Mickey or you want to schedule a dance screening, you can contact her through the McKaylee Center website, which we've also put in the podcast notes.